0: With others, you can do that and at least have some kind of semblance of church and discussion and fellowship at home. And what we're doing here in the building is we are still strategizing what that's going to look like to say, hey, come and be with us. Uh, And we're trying to maintain some kind of social distancing. Uh, We don't know what that totally looks like. We are installing all kinds of different things for hand sanitizer and, and soap and cleaning the building. And we're prepping the building for your return. I don't have a date for that. Uh, But we're looking forward to being able to say, hopefully soon, we want you here. Uh, One of the things we've even discussed is the possibility of doing uh, an outdoor service where we could gather together outside and maybe uh, just have ourselves kind of a little bit more spread out. And the dilemma that we're wrestling with with that is we still want to continue to provide a live service service for those who feel vulnerable, for those who possibly feel uh, scared for whatever reason. Uh, And so we're trying to figure out how do we maintain an internet connection to do live feed and have you all here, and we're trying to juggle all of these different things. So all that to be said, continue to pray for us. Uh, One of my friends who's a pastor, he said it like this. "I, I think there's a lot of wisdom to this, and hopefully if you can get your mind off of the world and off of all the politics, and you can just hear and see the biblical historicity for God's church, I think you'll be really surprised to see that God has always allowed His church to thrive underground, uh, under duress, under crisis. Always, the church has always done well when when it has been kind of pressed against uh, the wall. And I will tell you that I believe that the church is doing really, really well. And so the government has said there's no gatherings at all, and, and it's not just to the church. Uh, and right now, you have an opportunity to share your faith online, to share this video, to, to get the word out. Uh, and, and I'm telling you right now, I, I'm thankful for those of you that are faithful for checking in, listening to the sermon, and, and tuning into worship, and singing with your families. Uh, and But right now, I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that there is a large number of people who are hearing the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ through your church here more than ever before. And so we should rejoice in that and keep our eyes focused we know where we're going if we die if we get COVID 19 if something happens to us and, we, and, and there's a good chance you probably won't die that's what the statistics say but if you did you know where you're going and i know where i'm going uh and, and there are people out there they don't know or, or, or we know where they would be going and we want them to hear the message of god the love of god that they would be saved so uh thankful for you Love you. Let me give you another point of praise. We launched uh, recently Brad Knoll and Jim Mathias and Roberto. Uh, they launched uh, more of an online presence for Sierra Bible Church Spanish Ministries, and, and they've got a couple videos up right now. Both videos, each of them have been seen over a thousand times. That's incredible. Uh, so now not only are we continuing to get our message out uh, to those who normally come and, and those in our community, now we're starting to reach Uh, the Hispanic community uh, in their own language, in their own context, and I think that's really great. Another thing we need, uh, in addition to uh, some of the other stuff that's going on here, we're looking for donations of Clorox wipes, because there's a shortage of those, so uh, if you have Clorox wipes, bring them down, and then isopropyl alcohol. Did I say that right? Isopropyl alcohol. Okay, thank you, studio audience. I appreciate your feedback. Um, 91%, apparently that's important because uh, that kills the 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 uh, COVID-19. All right, with that said, we're going to be in Exodus 8 this morning, uh, and in Exodus 8, the question that we are going to try to answer this morning is, who is God that I should obey him? Look real quickly, we're not going to read yet, but look real quickly, if you've turned your Bibles to Exodus, because that's the series in which we've been, where... where uh, Moses has grown up. He's a Hebrew, but he grew up in the house of Pharaoh. He has left. He has heard from God. God has told him to go back to Pharaoh and say, Pharaoh, let God's people go. And Pharaoh's heart is hardened, and he won't do it. Now we're at this place where these plagues start to be just unleashed upon the people of Egypt. And one of the things that Pharaoh says, if you look real quickly in Exodus chapter 5, verse 2 Pharaoh tells Moses, he, he says something to Moses that, that's really interesting. He says, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? That is a question all of us need to ask. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Uh, let me just share with you one of the things that, that, uh, about me <laughs> um, that's hard. Obedience is difficult, whether that's being obedient uh, to some of the requests of my wife or or in my past as a young man being obedient to my school teachers or to those that, that, that had authority over me, obedience uh, is, doesn't come natural. Obedience doesn't come natural to most of us. In fact, I still remember to this day a conversation that a teacher had with my parents, with me present, and they, and they said something like this. Seriously, I was probably eight or nine years old. This is what the, the teacher said. Jesse refuses to take responsibility for his actions. He refuses to take responsibility for his actions. In fact, uh, I still clearly remember to this day, I was held back uh, in kindergarten because the teacher said all I wanted to do was play. Now, I was in kindergarten. I didn't know there was anything other than play. However, I was held back. And, and I struggled with authority for a long time. Uh, And even in my relationship with God, there's times where God is asking me to be obedient. In fact, uh, remember now, the whole book of Exodus, the, the theme of Exodus isn't just exiting out of Egypt, it's... It's introducing to us. It's God introducing himself to the people of Israel and saying, this is who I am. This is who I am, Israel. This, this is who I am, Moses. In fact, later you'll see that, that God speaks with Moses as if he's a friend in the cleft of the rock. And, and Moses wants this deep, intimate relationship with God. And God is doing everything in his power to free his people from sin and slavery and oppression so that they'll know who God is. And remember now, Pharaoh has no idea who God is. And in fact, he's he's not offended, and he hasn't been offended that the people of Israel have worshiped a different God. That hasn't bothered them. In fact, Israel uh, uh, and them worshiping a God, Egypt worshiped many gods. And we're gonna get to that here in a moment. They had all kinds of God. they, the gods. They were very, very pluralistic the problem the problem pharaoh had with the god of moses is that god had some kind of authority over pharaoh's life that's what was offensive now remember pharaoh was like a god he was seen as a god he he was seen as deity now moses comes on the scene and says there's another god he's the only god and you need to listen to him i would tell you this in our culture as well. In our world, most people don't care if you're a Christian. They don't. In fact, uh, in evangelism, a lot of people, if they say, if, if you tell them, I worship God, fine, that's good for you. Uh, what's good for you is good for you, but I, I don't need it. I'm not offended by that. The moment people get offended by the gospel or by God is when we start to say, this God has authority. Over your life. This God, He is Lord. He is King, and you need to listen to what He has to say. That is what's offensive to Pharaoh. That is what is offensive in our day and age. Now, one pastor says it like this It's not a problem to believe in God unless you're saying, Your God tells me how to live my life. If there's one thing we cannot tolerate, it's some deity impending on our freedoms and our desires. See, we live in a day and age where Pharaoh struggled with it because he thought he was God. Who is this God to tell me what to do? Who are you to tell me what to do? Now, I am continuously blown away at the way Exodus continues to speak to you as a church and to our culture and to our people in this day and age. Uh, that we're living in. This book, it's almost as if it was written for COVID-19 because I think many of us are struggling and demanding our rights. Who are you, government? Who are you, governor? Who are you to tell me what to do? You are not my God. Don't impose your beliefs on me. Now, Egypt's gods, Egypt's gods were setting up their, their life. Egypt set up so many gods to set up to meet their own emotional felt needs. Egypt had 114 different gods, 114 of them. And what God is about to do in Exodus chapter eight is he is about to just obliterate all of their false gods. And see, the the Egyptians had gods of the land, gods of the sea, gods of the sky, and God is going to obliterate all of them. All this to be said, the theme of this morning's message is that you and I have to care more about the obedient uh, heart that we should have, obedient, uh, just, just the, the, the idea that we understand that God is king and we need to obey what he has to say, that he matters more than anything else. In fact, Jesus touches upon this in John chapter 14. He says, he says if anyone loves me, because we know that God loves us. But do we love him? If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him, and we will make our home with him. You see this, if if we're obedient to God, we, we find that we have presence with God. Listen to this carefully. In the midst of isolation, Jesus would say to you, I can be with you in your home, but you've got to have a heart of obedience towards my words. Let me ask you this question. Let me ask the question for myself. In this season, what areas is God calling you to obey in? What areas is God saying to you, it's time for you to be obedient in this? Uh, I saw a Facebook uh, video, and it was of an owner who was walking their golden retriever. And at some point in the walk, the golden retriever uh, just decided to say to its owner, I'm done walking. And it laid down in the sidewalk, and it just laid there. And the owner is doing everything it can to get this dog out of the street, to get it into the house. But the golden retriever's done walking. I don't know if the ground's too hot, or he's just tired, or he's old, but he's not going anywhere. And the owner's just dragging this dog along. What areas in your relationship with God are you like that dog? You're just down on the ground. You're not moving. You're not budging. You're too hard-headed. You're not teachable. You're not humble. You're just, you're just you, you know what you know and you're arrogant about that belief and, and God's over here trying to say, listen, there's more to life than what you see. There's more to life than your own creature Creature comforts. There's, there's more to life than, than what you think is right and wrong. Would you listen to me? Would you heed me? Would you worship me? Would you pray to me? Would you have a relationship with me? And you're just like that dog, man. You're just, I'm not going to go there. I've seen this in church. I've seen this over the years. Christians are notorious for being some of the most hard-headed people there are in the world. It's incredibly difficult to speak to some Christians sometimes because they're not humble. They're They're not teachable. They know what is right. They, they don't want to enter into a conversation. This is why I tell people, don't comment on Facebook. You, you're not going to win anybody over on Facebook. You're just not. Nobody gets on Facebook and says, I hope to learn something today. No, they get on Facebook to say, here's where I'm at. This is what I believe. This is what I think. You're not going to reach people that way. You can win an argument, but you're going to lose the person. I'd rather win the person instead of just trying to win the argument. These false gods that, that exist, this, this, this false stuff. The Bible actually says it like this, that, that even though, and here, here's the thing. In Egypt, in Egypt, it was really clear. There's these false gods. I mean, Pharaoh's got a false god on his head in the form of a serpent and a snake. Uh, in fact, I, I, this week I've been watching all kinds of documentaries on Egypt, and it, to me it's just fascinating. The things they were able to build, the pyramids. I mean, you're talking about one of the greatest civilizations ever to exist. And they were able to build some architecture that has lasted a real long time. And the statues and the massiveness of it. And, and you can see these false gods, the eagles and the falcons and the birds and the animals. They, they worshipped everything and anything other than God himself. And the reality is, is behind these false gods, behind these things, the Bible actually says is a demonic force. There's something spiritual behind them. And just because we don't have these statues today doesn't mean we don't worship false gods. We do. Ephesians 6.12 says, we do not, listen carefully now, because I know many of us are frustrated in this season. But the Bible is really, really clear. Let me just ask you this question. How have you battled and how have you actually engaged this warfare that we're in right now? Because the Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the rulers and authorities and the cosmic powers. Do you hear the word? Cosmic powers over this present darkness against spiritual forces of evil. Where? In heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Now. That particular passage in Ephesians 6 tells us that when we're at war, it's not against our governors and it's not against the political authorities. It is against Satan and his demons themselves. Have you complained more than you have prayed in this season? Have you posted more than you have just laid yourself bare before God and said, God, birth something in me, and in our church, fight this evil. The Bible's really, really clear. Really, really clear. It says it right here. There are evil spiritual forces. There are cosmic powers. There are rulers of darkness that are against the church and against humanity in this evil age. And the Bible tells us that is the day in which we are living, an evil age. So we should not be shocked, should not be dismayed, Should not be super frustrated when all of a sudden the world looks exactly as God says it looks. It's filled with sin and it's broken. So why should I obey the Lord? Because he's a good God. And he gives us promises that we have to look forward to. Now, let's get into the actual part of the text this morning. If you are at home and you want to stand with me at this time, that would be great. Exodus chapter 8. Seven days had passed, it says in verse 25, seven days, seven full days have passed after the Lord had struck the Nile, that is to turn the Nile from water into blood. Then the Lord said to Moses, after the seven days of the first, of the first plague, here comes the second plague in chapter eight, then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh, say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. This is liberation and freedom. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague your country with frogs. That's right, frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and into your bed and your houses of your servants and your people and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up on you and your people and all your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with the staff over the rivers, over the canals and over the pools. Make the frogs come up out of the land of Egypt so Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt, but the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up out of the land of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord, and the church said, amen. You may be seated. We'll, we'll read a little bit more here in a little bit, but it's kind of funny that we're in this text this morning. The last two weeks, uh, Jonah, one of, one of my sons, has been begging uh, us as parents to take him out to catch frogs. And so even last night, he was out uh, looking for frogs with Allie and the other kids and another family in church. And um, he, he's just desperate to catch frogs. And, and there's a part of me that wants him to, and I know he's listening right now, buddy. I, 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 there's a part of me that wants you to catch a frog. There's a part of me that doesn't want him to catch a frog because I know that frog's going to be where? It's going to come home. In fact, a few years ago, about three, four years ago, he actually caught some frogs. We let him go in our backyard, and every year we would find him. We haven't found him uh, in a while, so... Hopefully, he's, he's okay. Um, but he kept coming back. And this, this is kind of a weird deal because God says, okay, listen, again, we're answering the question, who is God that we should obey him? Well, before I get there, let me, let me just back up for a moment to Brad Beer's message in chapter 7, which I think he did an incredible job. I've got nothing negative to say about you, Brad. You're a great dude. Uh, plus, don't ever arrest me or give me a ticket. Um, in that particular first plague, before the frogs, he mentioned this could be some kind of natural progression possibly, right? So my wife wanted me to let you know though, Brad, that, that she thinks it was literal blood and and she maybe disagrees with your stance there. So anyways, there are some who try to describe that what's happened in the plagues is a natural progression. That maybe, see, the Nile had a, a yearly flood. It would just come all the way down, flood the Nile every year, and Egypt actually organized their calendar around this flood in the rain season. There was basically three, uh, three seasons for the Egyptians. There was the flood, then they would sow, there'd be rich soil, they would then sow, and then they would uh, then bring in the crops. So those would be the three seasons, flood, sowing, and reaping. That's the three seasons. They, they literally uh, put the calendar around the Nile, and they had a god of the Nile. There was an actual goddess, the goddess of Hopi, which is uh, exactly what Brad Beers said it was, to provide fullness of life. This was the false god of the Egyptians, Hopi. And Hopi's whole thing in the flood and all of that was to provide fullness of life. In fact, this particular goddess was depicted as a bearded man with female breasts and a pregnant stomach. So everything about it, like right? the masculine bearded man, the breasts that provide life, the stomach that's going to give more life, and they worship this God to give them the good life. When, when Brad last week preached about how the Nile shut down, listen, this is crazy. Remember how I said I'm just amazed at how Exodus is touching base and where we're at now? When the blood came into the Nile, you know what God did to the Egyptians? He shut down the economy. Shut it down. You're not going to go to work. You can't provide plants. You can't feed your animals. can't feed your livestock. God shut down the economy. Now, the Nile to the Egyptians is the same as NASDAQ is to the Americans. Isn't it crazy? Now, just trust me here. I'm not going as far as saying this, this is what's happening. God has sent a plague upon America, and we're just duplicating it. I think God's just trying to teach us something here. Here's the deal. We, we as Americans love our power. We love our life. We love our wealth. It's all wrapped up in these things. What happens when, when God kills the idol of flourishing in the economy and says, what are you going to do? How are you going to respond? How are you going to react? Where's your hope? And see what God is trying to say is you need to obey me because I'm I'm the only one who truly is going to give you fullness and happiness in life. Not hoppy. Hoppy is not happy. Hoppy is a lie. And the magicians duplicate it. All they do is add more blood into the waters. All they do is taint the water even more. And some would go as far as saying that, that this is a natural occurrence of the flood and there was red algae that went in, and because of the red algae, the frogs then went out, and then the frogs died, and then the flies and the gnats came, and then so on and so forth, and each each plague just kind of trickles down. However, I believe that all of these things are miraculous, and we should never try to explain the miraculous away with logic because we do serve a God of miracles, and every single person who has ever come into salvation, you are a miracle. You have been born again. If God can save a dead sinner and bring that dead sinner to life, he sure as heck can make the Nile turn to blood. Or in this particular text, not only can he shut down the economy to show the Egyptians, who do you really serve? See, here, here's the thing you've got to ask yourself a little bit here. Are you trusting the real thing, or are you hardening your hearts with the fake thing? Where is your comfort? To whom are you looking for to meet your needs? It can't be the Nile. It can't be the economy. It has to be God. Now, we obey the Lord not just because he is the God of the real, he's the real provision, he's the real prosperity. Why else should we obey him? Well, well, the frogs, remember now, the frogs to the Egyptians, this is the goddess Heket. I don't know if I'm saying these things right, but I just know if I say it confidently enough, you'll believe that's how you say it. So you've got two gods now that are being attacked, and this is a direct attack. This is God letting the Egyptians know and letting us know he's the true God, he and he alone, and these other gods that Egypt serves, they're fake, they won't fulfill you, they're a lie, and they'll enslave you, and God wants to liberate you from them. But these frogs, they were also worshipped. The Egyptian goddess Heket uh, was known to bring childbirth, legacy, business, success and, and he was literally depicted, this goddess, she was depicted with a frog's head and a human's body. But I want you to see now, he's like, okay, God's like, okay, you, you want to worship the god of, of fertility and business? Well, I'm going to give it to you in, in just huge amounts. I'm a, and here's the deal. The Egyptians actually looked at the frogs in such a way they couldn't kill them. Now, now this is a funny thing because one frog is, is not dangerous, right? That's not a big deal. But look at the progression in the text. The progression is, okay, they're sacred. You can't kill them. They're going to end up in your house and then in your bedroom. And not just in your bedroom, then in your bed and then in your kitchen, but not just your kitchen, but also your oven. And not only in your oven, but in your bowls. And then they're actually going to be on you, the servants and the Hebrews. So God's just like, you want to worship the false god? Let me just give it. To you in abundance. It's like the old story of the dad who found his kid smoking a cigarette and decided to have him smoke a whole pack right in a row, and then they end up getting sick and never wanting to do it again. This is exactly what's happening. Just imagine this for a moment. It's somewhat comical because our God, I think, has a sense of humor. You're eating, and here's another frog. You go into bed, and there's more frogs. You try to do anything in Egypt during this plague, and the frogs are just coming, coming, and they're coming, and they're coming, and they're coming. And what God is saying to Egypt is you cannot find fruitfulness in the false gods of the world. You can only truly find fruitfulness in God himself. Paul Tripp says it like this. He said, any fruitfulness, any success, that is to say, like anything that you're doing really good in in life, and some of you might be doing really well right now in the midst of the economy even being shut down, any kind of fruitfulness born outside of surrender to Christ listen to this, he says, it's like picking up apples and stapling them to a tree. And then he goes on and he says, it'll look fruitful for a bit, but then after a little while, it'll start to rot. And then all of a sudden, this is this is a comical thing. Caleb and I were talking about this. If you looked in the text here, look at verse eight of chapter eight again. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, plead with the Lord to take away the frogs for me and my people and I'll let, the people go to sacrifice the Lord. So Moses, call, Moses is called back into Pharaoh's chamber, and he's like, listen, okay, I've had enough of the frogs. I don't want them anymore. Can you get rid of them? And then here's uh, something that's even more interesting. Moses said to Pharaoh, be pleased to command me when to plead for you and for your servants and for your people that the frogs would be cut off from you and your houses and be left in the Nile. So he says, he says to Pharaoh, he's gracious enough to say, you decide when do you want to get rid of this plague. Or just imagine your house is filled with hundreds of thousands of frogs. Your community is filled with hundreds of thousands of frogs. They're everywhere. I think it's hysterical, unless they were in my bed, and then I would be disgusted. And he says to him, let me know when you want to get rid of them. And I'll pray, I'll pray, for you to God, and I'll get rid of these frogs. Let me know when when do you want this? And look at look at look at Pharaoh's response. And he said, "Tomorrow, tomorrow? I mean, if I was Moses, that's that's right. Okay, wait a minute. You've got like five. I'm, I'm looking around. You got like 500 frogs in your bedroom right now. When do you want me to get rid of them? Tomorrow." <laughs> Tomorrow, why? because Because even in the hardness of Pharaoh's heart, I think he's holding out, he's holding out for for just one more moment where, where maybe his God would come through or they'll, they'll go away, but he doesn't want to submit himself to Moses, and he definitely doesn't want to submit himself to the God of the Bible to Yahweh, so he's asking, well, you know what, pray tomorrow and then here's, here's the thing, man, Pharaoh, Pharaoh should have prayed for his sin. To go away and not the frogs and not his own lack of comfort. He should have been praying, you know what, don't worry about the frogs right now. Remove from me my sin. I mean, isn't that the American way? Man, you know what, just give me back my comfort, give me back my food, give me back my local restaurant, give me back my stuff. What if this is a season where God's saying, you know what, get rid of certain things in me. Purge me of certain stuff. Don't let me lean on the wisdom of the world and on my own finances and, and the fact that I can get my cheeseburger at my place and get what I want when I want it because gosh darn it, that is the American way. Where's the part in the Bible where it says those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength? Where's the part where we're patient? We, we actually, actually do what the Bible tells us to do which is to repent from our selfishness and our complaining and our grumbling. You know the Bible actually says don't grumble in anything? you know what anything is? It's everything. You know what everything is? It's everything. And yet I can't help but see so many Christians complaining, grumbling, mumbling, fluttering, upset, frustrated. Why? You have a king. This is not your country. You belong as a citizen to heaven. Pharaoh should have begged Moses for the repentance of sin. He should have begged God for forgiveness of his sin. Instead, he's saying, you know what, just give me another day so I don't have to obey you, and then I'll ask you to pray for me because I'm not gonna pray for myself. You pray for me. You're the professional, after all. And so Moses does, and I think there's a beautiful moment there. Moses prays to God, and what does God do? He answers prayer. Can we just say as Christians, can we actually believe in this season that God actually answers our prayers? How much have you prayed in this season? Not for your own comfort, but for God's glory to come. The Puritans used to call these moments of crisis, I mean, this is the thing, we, don't, we just don't put enough weight on some of the history that's here. The, the Puritans would call these kind of things that we're going through, they, they would call them, listen, severe mercies. See, what, what happens in these seasons is God makes us aware of our need for him. I mean, that's what's happening for me, at least. I hope it's happening for you. I mean, yeah, I want to meet together as a church. But what I want more than anything else is I want you to actually know God. Someone said to me, someone actually said to me on Facebook, open up your building because people can't hear unless the building's open. That's not true. You're hearing right now. You have more opportunities as Americans. You, 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 you as an American person, if you're listening, America, there's probably people in Spain and other places that are listening as well, but you, you have more access to the gospel than any other person in the history of the entire world. We have more access than, we have every Bible you could imagine, every translation you could imagine, every commentary you could imagine. In fact, there, there's this place, if you remember, in Ecclesiastes, and it talks about this life, that life is all vanity, I mean, Ecclesiastes is not a book I'm going to necessarily recommend you to read in this day and age because it is a depressing book to a certain degree. Because what happens is, is, is the author is like, hey, I had it all. I had all the women. I had all the money. I had and It was vanity. I had everything. It was vanity. In fact, that word vanity he uses over and over and over and over. Over, over again, is actually translated like smoke. It's like I had it. I could see it. But it wasn't touchable. It just kind of wafted through my fingers. And then if you go to the end of the book, you go to the very end, he find you, say, you know what, what is the summary of this? He says, there's more books than you could ever read. It's all vanity. How many books have you read this year? The Bible says it's vanity. There's more books than you could ever read. He says, what? what is the heart of the matter? What is, what is the end of humanity? What, what, is, what is the goal for humanity? Obey God. It's obedience to God. Who's the Lord that I should obey him? He is a God who gives us severe mercies to show us our true need is him, himself. It's God himself. And let me just touch upon briefly here in our last few moments together, the third plague that's brought upon them after the frogs. Because Moses, what happens is, and this happens to us too, the frogs go back to the Nile and they die. In fact, the text, if you were to continue to read, it actually says they were heaping the frogs in piles huge piles of just frogs who croaked over. Ha ha, that's a Brad Beers dad joke. They just croaked over. And here you've got all of these frogs, just piles of them. Imagine you're walking through Truckee, California, and you just see just huge piles of frogs everywhere. And it says they stink. They actually, they smelled. And then on the heels of that, when Pharaoh gets what it says here in verse 15, respite, a little bit of rest, my kids and I were watching uh, uh, Prince Caspian, Chronicles of Narnia, uh, and I can't remember the, the uncle, I think it is, or the the guy who's trying to take the throne, and he ends up in a fight, uh, and if you remember in the movie, they're fighting, and they're, they're going for it, and he, he, he gives them the final blow, and he's about to win, and, and the villain says, respite, respite, give me a rest, give me a rest, he calls upon a moment of rest, and and, and he's gracious, and he gives them that moment, that moment of rest, and when he turns his back, he attacks. And this is exactly what Moses uh, is hearing from Pharaoh. Give me rest. I have rest. He hardens his heart, and he goes back on his promise. He's not going to let the people go. Isn't that the same way for us? <laughs> the worst thing that could happen when we get back together in the building is you forget, that you forget that God is demanding your attention, your love, your adoration, and your worship. That's what we want more than anything. Let's get back to normal. What if normal was killing you? What if materialism was enslaving you? What if your own worldly creature comforts were spiritually suffocating you? And what if you're not taking this time, as Pharaoh isn't, to figure out what it is that you need to make right in your life? What if you're not doing that? Because you're too busy demanding your rights. What if you're missing out on a deeper spiritual healing that God has for you in this season. So he hardens his heart, and then what happens? The gnats come. And what's interesting about the translation of the gnats, theologians aren't exactly sure. Are they, are they gnats? Some believe they may have been mosquitoes uh, or they were flies. We're not totally sure, but we do know this. We know in that plague, they get all over you. And here's the thing about a gnat. One little gnat, not a big deal. whole bunch of gnats it's another big deal and this is also uh, tied to another the earth god because it says the the dust became the gnats and the gnats what they're doing is they are exposing the impossibility of man to comfort their deepest needs the gnats are all over them all of their comfort all of all of their their security is just broken apart by this small tiny little bug it's amazing And what's really, really interesting is there's a deep correlation between Genesis chapter 1 and the plagues of Exodus chapter 7 onward. There's a correlation between Exodus chapter 1 and what's in the plagues. What do I mean by that? Well, think about it. It's quite amazing. Each plague is correlated to the creation of God's earth. You can find a correlation between the plagues and and all of the negative things that happen with the plagues and all of the positive things that happen with creation. We see light that was made turns to darkness. We're going to see the growth of vegetation become dead crops. We're going to see the light of the heavens cease to shine. We're going to see the waters which swarmed with life in Genesis 1. They die. The fish and the frogs die. And then the land animals themselves die. It's literally as if God is dead de-creating Egypt. He's deconstructing it. Why? To bring you and I, to bring the Egyptians, and to bring God's people, and to bring the Hebrews to full submission of God. Who's the Lord that I shall obey Him? He's the God of the heaven, the land, and the sea. He is the God not of... The economy, but the God of fruitfulness for our souls. He is the God who brings severe mercies into our lives to purify us from our sins. He is the God of true comfort where the gnats come in and bother us. He is the God that fixes these things. We surrender to Him because He is the God who truly blesses His people and takes them out of their slavery. I want you to know Him. I want you to surrender to Him. I Want to surrender to him? Where are the places in your life that you need to surrender to the God of the heavens? Because in the text, the magicians who can only keep adding to the plagues, they they—they they can only add more frogs, they can only add more blood. They literally, after seeing these things in chapter eight, they say, this is the finger of God. So what should we do when the finger of God disrupts our lives? Number one, make him your king. Make him your king. Surrender to him. Listen to him. Call upon him. Pray to him. Number two, make the church your family. It's the bride of God. We need community. Not shallow relationships, but commitment and loyalty. Keep checking in online. Keep checking in on your church. If you need help and you need assistance, if you need a home to gather in next week, contact the office and we're going to put you in a home somewhere. We're going to tell you maybe to be in the building if we can do it in a way that's okay. But, but check in. Don't disengage. Pastor Wayne has gone through our directory at least three times. And if we don't If we haven't checked in on you, it's because we don't have your number. You need to call us. You need to give us your number. You need to go online. You need to sign up on our newsletter. You need to get connected because the church is your family, and we're going to get through this together because we all are united by worshiping the same God of the heavens because that same God has died on behalf of our sins, and he has forgiven us, and we are made right and righteous with God because of his death and resurrection. Make the church, your family. That's what it means to submit to God. Don't forsake the gathering of the saints. That's not about a building. It's never been about a building. You are the temple of God. It's about us gathering together and gathering in a way where we recognize no matter where we're at in the world, we're united by the spotless blood of the lamb. Number three, make God's mission your mission. Our greatest happiness our greatest delight will, be, will become when we pursue his glory and delight in his glory and rejoice in his glory, not our own. Make his mission your mission. Right now, you can do that really easily. Just share this video on your feet. Send it to a friend. Email it to a coworker. You know there are people in your life that are they're hurting and they're struggling. They need to hear that God is can bring them into a right relationship with himself, forgive them of their sins, and give them new life. And I would pray that you would receive that in faith. So the church, we love you and we miss you. This is not, it's not fun for anybody. But I have not been angry. I've not been distressed. Maybe take back that back a little bit. I get a little frustrated with all your opinions because you, you all have a lot of opinions. And I get it, and I don't blame you for it. But I hope you can trust your leadership. That We honestly, honestly want to do what's right for the glory of God and for the good of not only his people, but those who don't know him. We are praying, and we are seeking advice, and we are doing counsel. I don't have all the answers, and you want want to know something, to be honest. I don't want all of the answers because then I don't have to live by faith. I miss you terribly. I want to see you every single week. I miss some of your sarcastic remarks. I miss all of those who would see my hair that's a little longer today and go, oh, going for a new look? No, I do the same thing every month, let it grow, shave it off, and somehow you still miss it. I I miss you mentioning, oh man, Brad's wearing sandals this week? I miss all of those funny little things, and I miss hearing us sing in a room together and hearing your voice. That in a room together, we're all praising the God who saved us. I I miss those things. And I'm praying that that gets resolved soon. And I'm praying that there'll be more new faces here that we can hug and embrace and build community with because of this. Let's pray. Let's worship. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you're patient with us because, Lord, if, if we really, really look at the way in which we respond to hardship, we fall so incredibly short. We're no different than Pharaoh. We're no different than Egypt. We're no different than the complaining Hebrews. Lord, we're sinners who are in need of your saving grace. And even in that, Lord, as much as we don't do things right and correct, you're just so patient, you're so kind, and you tell us not even to focus on those things, but to focus on the reality that our identity is that we're still saints, that we're loved by you, that we are pure, that we're made righteous. Lord, I thank you that you have carried our church in this season. I truly feel unworthy. You have been too good to us but I shouldn't expect anything less because that's the kind of God you are you pour grace upon us even when we don't need it and I pray that any family any person who is within earshot this morning would feel and know your deep love thank you for being our king and help us because of the grace that you give us Truly be obedient to you. In Jesus' name.